This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. A recent report by real estate website Trulia says that it shows, I should say, just how uneven the housing recovery actually has been, with some parts of the country fully recovered on home prices, while other areas are still far, far away from reaching those levels. Nationwide, though, the report says that just over a third of homes have reached pre-recession levels, and the expectation is that pricing won't fully recover until well into the year 2025, still a full eight years away. That also shows that there is still quite a bit of growth expected in the market as well. To take a look at the report and the state of the housing sector, we're joined on the phone by Trulia's chief economist, Ralph McLaughlin. And joining me here in the studio, Benjamin Keyes, assistant professor in Wharton School of uh, Department of Real Estate. And he's also a faculty research fellow at the National Bureau of Economic Research. Ben, great to see you. Oh, thanks, thanks for, for coming me. back in. Ralph, great to have you with us as well. Good morning, gentlemen. Thank you. Uh, so go through the report, Ralph, and and really kind of break this down as to what we're seeing. And again, as I said, the length to which we're still looking at getting back to uh, to full pricing on a lot of these homes across the U.S. Yeah. So, you know, the, the, the high line of the report basically is that only a little over a third of homes in the U.S. have recovered to their pre-recession peak values. Uh, but that, that distribution varies pretty widely across space. Uh, for example, in places like Denver and San Francisco, you know, nearly 100% of homes have recovered, whereas in areas such as Las Vegas, Tucson, or Bakersfield, fewer than 3% of homes have recovered. Uh, and the, the uh, sort of secondary takeaways here is that at least from a um, you know, a, a very parsimonious analysis is that uh, income growth is is perhaps one of the biggest differentiators. Um, uh, you know that 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 that, that you know, explains why some places have recovered and others haven't. You know, a few other factors that are correlated. Uh, you know, include things like population growth um, and. Um, uh, and, and, and job growth. So, you know, that, that's, that's a highline takeaway. I mean, as far as predicting when the housing market will fully recover, if you use our, our measure of recovery, uh, you know, from a linear perspective, it, it might be until 2025, but, you know, the housing market, uh, as you both know, you know, can take, can, you know, take sharp swings upward or, or downward. So that could be, uh, you know, either sooner than 2025 or, or much later. What was your reaction to this report, Ben? Yeah, I mean, the economist in me first uh, wondered if these were nominal dollars or, or real dollars. That yeah. We sort of have this very artificial sense of uh, of a nominal value in the housing market. Yeah. And there's been a lot of really nice research which has shown um, that people are very sensitive to loss aversion. And so if I buy a house for $200,000, I'm really reluctant to sell it for even a dollar less, right? That, sure. Those yeah. losses feel much more painful to me than uh, than the similar gains would, would feel uh, in terms of making me feel better. So... So one thing is, is sort of the artificialness of, of this as a benchmark um, and, and sort of thinking of this as uh, something that's going to resonate in a lot of people's minds when they bought in 2005, six or seven at, yeah. at very high, high uh, prices. Um, you know, but whether the, these kinds of, um, of, of trends are going to, uh, to persist and whether we're going to see the, this recovery uh, reach these other markets, I think that's a, a much deeper and, and really important question that the markets that have been left out of the uh, the house price recovery are some of the ones that had the most inflated and exaggerated bubbles, um, yeah. where we had the worst behavior in terms of um, of mortgage market discipline, where we had the most uh, teaser rate contracts and low documentation loans. And so you look at 
uh, Las Vegas, where almost none of the houses are back to their uh, peak levels. And, and you really begin to wonder, um, you know, you, you begin to, to, I would say, appreciate just what distortions were going on in the market at that time and, and how long lived the, you know, the, the recovery has to be to, um, to, to sort of um, get the market back to a place uh, that that looks like it did prior to that bubble period. Well, Ralph, uh, I mean, Ben mentions Las Vegas, and obviously that, that was a, a well documented story about how much trouble that they had uh, in terms of uh, the the loss of price. Uh, I mean, there are, and you have a list of uh, of basically the top ten cities. Uh, that have not recovered to this point. And what I found interesting was there were a couple of markets in there that are probably, for the most part, considered to be more lower-income cities to begin with. Camden, New Jersey, across the the, uh, the river from us here in Philadelphia, being one of them. So, you know, these are cities that obviously lost a good bit during uh, the housing bubble and the, and the recession. And the question is whether or not they can regain it to, to any degree when you think long-term. Yeah, you know, you know, a couple of uh, interesting points that Ben brought up that relates to this that, that's important, I think, to dive into a little bit more yeah. uh, is, you know, one, is this, you know, is a pre-recession peak an acceptable benchmark, you know, given how inflated some of these markets were? Uh, you know, our measures uh, are nominal, which is a second second point that, that sort of Ben ben makes. And we, we chose to use nominal values because we think most homeowners, uh, you know, are that that's their benchmark. You know, most homeowners are not adjusting for inflation, yeah. you know, in their head. And so it affects somewhat the psychology of the market. So, you know, not from a nominal perspective, yes, I mean, these markets, I think, eventually will recover, you know, if, if you know, at the least, it's just because of, of inflation. Yeah. Uh, you know, and second is whether or not really they're going to recover from, uh, you know, an inflation-adjusted standpoint. And some of these markets, you know, if they do, maybe may may decades. And, you know, in, in particular, I think talking uh, specifically about uh, the markets that are uh, tend to be in the, in the Rust Belt, so uh, you know places like New Haven, uh, you know Lake County, Kenosha, Wisconsin, and Camden, New Jersey. You know those, those areas are seeing uh, you know pretty pretty uh, long term and significant population declines, which you know are, are never uh, never highly correlated with increases in prices. Usually, population declines lead to uh, decreases in, in in prices. Now, some of the other markets, in particular those in the West, that that uh, you know may either be found growing or near markets that are fast growing in particular you know Las Vegas uh, uh, Bakersfield and Riverside San Bernardino those markets are probably going to recover in, in, in my expectation faster than some of those rust belt rust belt markets yeah absolutely I think one of the one of the things that this highlights is the real divergence across cities uh, in the US and I yeah. think that sort of uh, you know something that we've we've seen in the income distribution and something that we are seeing across cities as well that um, there's a, a set of stagnant cities that are really struggling, and um, with housing being such a durable, uh, a durable good, um, yeah. you know, it's very difficult to adjust your your footprint of a city size or uh, the number of houses that are available. And so we know that places that have a downturn, a sizable downturn, um, can be sort of trapped in that in that state for a very long time, um, and there aren't a lot of easy ways to to pull out of it. It takes a really active um, local government and local public policies to turn things around. Ralph, when you when you bring these numbers forward to people, I, I mean, is there a level of surprise in some that we do have some of these cities that are just in, in struggling mightily to be able to get a little bit of the value back in their homes? Yeah, you know, I, th this report really was met with a lot of surprise. You know, I, I think um, for 
you know, one particular reason, just in, in general, that a lot of the other metrics that we use, that we're currently using um, you know, as a society to judge housing market recovery, you know, namely aggregate measures of, of, of prices really mask what's going on within individual markets. And that, you know, when you look at the value of individual homes within those markets, the story is very, very different. You know, and, and in particular, there was, um, you know, a, a lot of interest from, from uh, places, uh, from reporters and markets that, uh, you know, have, have yet to recover, in particular in, in Florida, and, and even uh, markets that were outside this bottom list, namely in the Midwest, you know, Chicago, yeah. they, were, they were very interested in, uh, you know, the, the fact that fewer homes have recovered. And the big question is, when are we going to come back? You know, and two, is this a bad thing? You know, and I think that is the important takeaway. Is that just because your housing market hasn't recovered doesn't necessarily mean it's, it's a bad thing. Right. Um, and, and, and so, you know, that, that, that's the emphasis that, that I've been, you know, trying to get reporters to, to, to focus on. You know, it, it, you know, it's probably a good thing that homes are not back to where they were in, in Las Vegas and Bakersfield. Well, let me ask you this then, Ben, because, I mean, we saw for, for quite a period of time the run of people investing in a lot of these properties, especially the ones that were distressed, and, you know, and, and trying to build them back up to a degree, flip them and, and sell them. And, and that seemingly is still there, but maybe not to the degree it was maybe two or three years ago. So with this information out there, could we, I mean, it would feel like there's the opportunity for that sector of the market to still be able to benefit going forward by being able to find these properties and be able to turn them around. Yeah, the the single family rental uh, market is one that really took off in the wake of the yeah. of the crisis, and certainly some savvy investors scooped up a lot of foreclosed properties at a discount. I think what we're recognizing now, and what this report really highlights, is that some of the places where we haven't seen as much of that activity and we haven't seen the prices bounce back, or for exactly these kinds of stagnant reasons that we were talking about earlier. So that in those types of places. You know the the returns that you need to get to make that business model work are, are really outsized because they're very high costs of maintaining all of those properties, yeah. keeping an eye on properties. Right? It's a re there's a reason why we think of um, rental properties as usually being more um, more concentrated and more dense because it's just much easier to to maintain and, and monitor. You can have a you know one super take care of the whole building. Right. You don't have that when you have uh, 50 properties spread across the city. And so I think. You know the returns might not be there um, in some of those markets. It's it's certainly a, a possibility, and I think there are people who are still pursuing some of these single family uh, single family rental plays. But you're right. also seeing some of the big players in the market trying to get out, so they're trying to spin these off. Um, and the exit strategies aren't aren't clean because you don't want to unload all these properties onto the market at the same sure. time. Yeah, especially in some of the markets where uh, where things are are still on a bit shakier ground. So I think it's it's still an evolving kind of asset class and kind of a new thing. And there's a question about whether it's going to be able to persist in good times or bad, or whether it was just a one shot deal. Sure. Yeah. And some very savvy investors, you know, struck gold at the right time. Ralph. Yeah, you know, that, it, it's a great point. And, and you know, coincidentally, and, and maybe not so coincidentally, in our uh, home flipping report we released back in February, um, several of the markets that came to the top of the list were actually uh, some markets here that were uh, lowest with home value recovery. You know, namely, Las Vegas was leading the country where, um, you know, I think it was around 11% of homes, uh, of home sales were flipped uh, in, in 2016. And, you know, the other market that was a hot spot was the greater Miami area. So Miami, 
Miami, Fort Lauderdale, uh, and West Palm Beach also came pretty high to the, that list. And so it's very possible that investors there are seeing um, you know, opportunity at least to uh, perhaps flip homes, number one, mm-hmm. that, that are undervalued, uh, and, and number two, uh, maybe that went through periods of deferred maintenance. So that, that's one thing that I think anecdotally may be there, that you know, when, when there was a large foreclosure crisis or, or perhaps a high vacancy rates and, and uh, removed owners, whether they were banks or, or other investors, uh, and you know, many of those homes maybe went through um, you know, a lot of deferred, deferred maintenance. And so right. you know, there, there's a stock that uh, is, is ripe for, for improving, or at least was ripe in 2016, not necessarily saying that that's you know, going to be the market going forward, but you know, that's what we observed last year. 844 Wharton is the number to give us a call, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, you can send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. It was interesting, Ralph, in, in looking at the, the top 10 list, the majority of, of the cities were west of the Mississippi. I think Nashville was really the only one east of the Mississippi that was in that category. So that being said, what is the state of the recovery here in the eastern half of the U.S.? I mean, obviously, there's a lot of areas where housing is still very affordable. I have friends down in the Atlanta area that that talk about how you can get, you know, a a beautiful, big four-bedroom, three-bath house, which would cost you probably a half a million dollars here in the Philadelphia area. You can get it for $200,000 in the Atlanta area. Yeah, I mean, most of the housing recovery, as you mentioned, has been west, uh, you know, of of the Mississippi, and we think you know, there the, the really is a, a you know. I would say a delineation between them, you know, those markets that have recovered. Um, you know, one, they tend to be either uh, you know, uh, the markets that are are big economic engines of of the country, so places like uh, San Francisco, uh, uh, you know, Denver and Colorado Springs, is, that's outside of Denver, and markets that really didn't fall, they didn't crash very much during the recession. So Texas is one of those markets, and in, in that part of the country, uh, you know, when when you're looking, you know, to the um, you know to to the eastern half of the country and, and looking through areas that, uh, you know, have, have recovered and that haven't, uh, you know, there is a similar delineation there. But, you know, namely, it's on that second part of the delineation and that uh, markets that really never boomed, you know, are the ones that have actually, uh, you know, come back. So places like Buffalo, New York, uh, Rochester, you know, upstate New York, uh, it, you know, never really boomed during the, um, uh, you know, d- d- during the bubble. Uh, and, you know, other places, um, you know, fit that bill along the East Coast include places like Pittsburgh. Uh, you know, on mm-hmm. the other hand, you know, many other markets that are east of the Mississippi are in the lower half of, of markets that have recovered. Uh, you know, in, in New York, you know, only only 26 percent of homes have recovered. Um, you know, in, in Ohio, it's, uh, you know, only about uh, 20 to 23 percent. So, you know, absolutely, in some of these markets, there may be um, – you know, a lot of homes that have uh, not reached their pre-recession peak, uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean that there's potential in those markets to get back to that pre-recession peak, well, as per our discussion earlier. And part of it is also, as you both have alluded to, the economic situation in a lot of these cities. And with with some of the, the smaller to mid-sized towns that were, you know, traditionally had, uh, you know, good numbers of people living there, and then obviously good numbers of homes, the loss of manufacturing, uh, you know, at, at whatever level has really hurt these markets, Ben. And, and for some of them, 
they may not be able to come back because the manufacturing just isn't there the way that it was, say, 30 or 40 years ago. That's absolutely right. I mean, I think you have an employment base that's really shifting and it's shifting um, you know, quite sharply in the in the face of the Great Recession. So we've, you know, we saw a lot of um, people employed in construction and um, and you know, housing was actually a real engine for for growth um, yeah. during that period. Um, but in the places where where there really wasn't much of a of a boom, um, you know, those are places where the local economy and the local drivers of the economy are are going to be the the big factors in in determining house prices and in the places where. Um, where employment is is falling and where you know the sort of compositional shift away from traditional industries is is happening more rapidly, those are places that are really going to struggle. Ralph, yeah, yeah. I mean, to put some numbers behind that, uh, you know, Buffalo, New York, for example, you know, has lost four percent of its, um, uh, you know, it's that negative job growth, negative four percent job growth since yeah. the recession. Uh, and same with same with Rochester, you know, about two percent. So it's very hard. Uh, you know, for markets to recover when they're when they're shedding jobs, you know, namely because you need job growth to support income growth, which supports price growth. Um, and, and so, you know, we are really seeing, you know, very interesting and stark regional differences in, you know, where both income and, 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 and job growth is occurring. In which, the which is obviously if you flip uh, uh, the scenarios you just laid out in Buffalo and, and Rochester, a place like San Francisco, San Jose, it's just incredibly surging right now. Uh, because of uh, of what we're seeing in the tech sector uh, in, in a good portion, but to the fact that it, Ralph and it's amazing to me is that you know the median price for a home in the San Francisco area is more than a million dollars right now, and and you know that's incredible to think about the growth that you're seeing and the wealth that there is in the in the housing sector in that area alone. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, in San Francisco alone, uh, you know, since the recession, they've seen about 30% increase in, in jobs and about 25% increase in income. And, you know, because housing is a normal good, you know, households do tend to put, uh, you know, that, that higher income in, into their homes in one way or another, uh, either ones that they're living in or ones that they use uh, for, for investment purposes. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and so, yeah, I mean, that, that, that's obviously an, an outlier. But still, if you compare that to other places uh, that are on that list, you know, um, job growth in Dallas has been, uh, you know, been, been phenomenal, been 25% since the recession. Income growth has lagged a little bit, but still about 11%. You know, but the big difference there, you know, at least between those two markets, where income growth and job growth are good is that Dallas actually builds a lot of homes and San Francisco doesn't. And yeah. so, you know, not only, you know, is, is the area booming in San Francisco, but they're not building a lot of homes. So demand's increasing sharply, you know, at a time when supply is pretty stagnant. And, and that's right for increasing prices to, you know, as you said, well over a million dollars. Yeah. And that's also, le- you know, leading to an affordability crisis in a lot of these cities. And so you have this Disconnect where the the places where the the jobs are being created are also the places where it's it's difficult to build or there's not as much building right. going on and so that's leading to extremely high rental prices for for renters um, and relatively low home ownership rates and so you have this um, this challenge from for job mobility if we're going to you know draw people to these um, sort of drivers of the of the modern economy to these engines of growth but we don't have anywhere for them to live. 
um, you know, this is this is a real challenge, and I think something that um, that policy needs to do more to to try to encourage uh, in terms of affordable housing and and uh, you know reducing some of the barriers to to home construction and more dense construction. Well, and, and obviously it's a big issue, and, and it's one that needs to be addressed uh, in Washington and probably at the even more so at the state level as well to be able to kind of open up the door for some of these things to happen. And, and it does again kind of throw us back into that economic debate for a second, Ben, about what needs to happen to be able to allow some of these things to occur so that people can have the resources they need to be able to buy these homes and, and get a lot of these, whether they be new homes or you know homes that have been around for 40 or 50 years, and get them off the market and get them to be assets rather than you know, kind of hanging on the back of people. That's right. At the, at the national level, we think about things like uh, like like federal uh, mortgage policy and federal sort of mortgage finance uh, systems, which could uh, potentially, you know, alleviate some of the, pr the pressure on the, the rental market if we could bring a few more people uh, into home ownership. We're at a 50-year low for the home ownership rate, which is yeah. a pretty astonishing figure. Um, and then at the national level as well, we can think about the, the support for, um, you know, for, for housing vouchers, uh, support for um, multifamily construction, um, and the kinds of things that are going to free up, uh, you know, free up more uh, more financing for for development that's denser. Uh, but then we have all these local barriers to development, and yeah. um, and so those challenges sort of cut across one another and and make it really difficult to uh, to increase the density in the the most desirable neighborhoods in the most desirable cities. Ralph. Yeah, I agree 100% with Ben. I mean, you know, really a, a three-pronged approach here. You know, one is to, uh, you know, increase uh, market rate development. You know, I think market rate development is sort of the elephant in the room uh, just because uh, a lack of it can, can put, uh, uh, you know, pretty severe affordability pressures on, on homes that normally, um, say, lower-income individuals would, uh, would, would occupy. Uh, you know, two, there's always, I, I think, going to be demand for below-market rate um, uh, housing, and I think we you know, could do a better job of, of that. And, and three, you know, looking at you know, it's something we haven't talked about much here, but, uh, you know, the inventory problem of existing yeah. homes, you yeah. know, there aren't a lot of homes on the market. Uh, and, and some of those may have been bought up by investors and turned into rental units. And, and you know, investors are holding, you know, holding onto them for, for good reason. You know, rents have gone, gone up pretty sharply. You know, you could tweak uh, tax codes if you wanted to incentivize owners of, of, of uh, you know, uh, existing rental homes to sell, you know, depending on which side of the political spectrum you're on, you could either, um, you know, a have a one-time exclusion in capital gains tax uh, for for those properties. In other words, investors could sell them and not pay tax or tap, you know capital gains. That might encourage them to sell. Yeah. Or or two, you know, uh, tax uh, rental income at a higher rate. Uh, and you know, both of those would have the same effect. Again, depending on uh, what side of political spectrum you're on, we'll tell you what side you lean towards. But both should have the effect of of, of freeing up investor-owned properties. Uh, you know, if there is indeed demand for for owner occupiers to get back into the market. Quickly, about about thirty seconds, Ralph. Is there a hope that that the the rental market will ease a little bit here in, in the next couple of years, and and that we can kind of get the the flip script uh, the script flipped here and and, and see more. Uh, properties uh, purchased and and I guess built as well. Get the new home uh, market continue to to roll as well. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm much more optimistic about uh, about building. Uh, you know, I think we're starting to see upper charges there. Uh, you know, on on, on the other uh, on the other hand, you know, I do see signs that rents are starting to moderate a bit, but whether or not they're going to, uh, you know, moderate for long enough uh, of a period where wages catch up to make rents affordable, I, I think is a question that that remains to be answered. Great to have you both with us. Thank you, Ben. Great to see you. Thank yeah, you, thanks. Ralph. Great to have you on the phone with us today. Thank you, sir. Great chat, fellas. Thank you. Ralph McLaughlin from Trulia, their chief economist. Ben, uh, Benjamin Keyes here from the Wharton School uh, and also uh, a faculty research fellow at the National Bureau of Economic Research. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.